0: I'm David Kern,
1: I'm Heidi White,
0: and I'm
2: Tim McIntosh,
0: and you're listening to Close Reads, a podcast for the Incurable Reader, on which we are going to discuss our favorite books of, well, our favorite reads of 2021. We're going to discuss all the things that we read this year, and in particular, we're going to point to our favorites. We're each going to choose a top five, and I've got some other questions leading up to that. But first, Heidi, how was your Christmas?
1: Oh, it was so great. We had a really good Christmas. So, yes. How about y'all?
0: Tim, did you dress up as anything? Did you make uh, baby Jesus Grinch? food or anything? I
1: dressed
2: up like the Grinch. I put on an orange felt jumper and a Santa hat and I scowled and for did 24 hours. And
1: you go around stealing Christmas joy from everybody?
2: Not only did I steal Christmas joy, but I put it under my feet and I slowly crushed it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's That's so what sad. I did, Heidi. Yep. And then, and then can you describe your moment of catharsis and repentance? I could, if I had experienced it. You're still a Grinch? Well, that's not a good hey, Christmas story at all. <laughs> Tim, I'm
0: going to go ahead and take a screenshot. So I would need you to go ahead and make that uh, Grinchy face that, that you did sour, here. I'm just going to count down. Frown. The sour Grinchy frown, yeah. Did I? Uh, and we'll take... Um, <laughs> this. I think it looks good. Hold that, hold that, hold that. Hold that. Accurate. Perfect. All right, good. I'm there, there. We got to I had a to lower screenshot the, of that.
2: I had to lower my glasses a little bit to the end of my nose. So not only did I look like sour, I also looked slightly condescending to have the nose with the glasses pushed down on the end scroogey. of my nose. Scroogey. You look scroogey. Not scroogey. just grinchy, but yeah. scroogey. It's not just yeah. grinchy, but scroogey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we are here to discuss the books that we read this year. Um, I, I imagine that outside of the, the books that we did for the show, we all had- pretty interesting reading year. There's a lot of interesting books that came out in 2021. I think it was actually a a wonderful year for new books. But of course, more importantly, there are the great books, the ones that we're all trying to read every now and then and keep up with and, you know, flush out our our reading, our reading vocabularies and our reading experiences and our reading lives. Uh, So what I want to do is kind of work backwards here. I want to talk about those top fives that we mentioned. You know, we each have five books that were kind of our top five reading experiences of the year. I've got some other questions before we get to that. What would you say is each of your favorite book experience from the show this year? Was there a book that you read along with the podcast that really stands out? It doesn't necessarily mean it's your favorite book. It's just the reading experience that most has stuck with you, that you, you think about every now and then. Or, or there's something about reading that book that really stood out to you for this year. Heidi, do you have something like that off the top of your head that you could, you could point to?
1: Yeah. So I went through and counted, you know, how many books I read and all that. And I realized that we did Death Comes from, for the Archbishop this year. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I think we started the year with longer that, longer right? ago, but yeah, uh, that one I really love doing, but I think I'm going to put that as second under All the Pretty Horses. I mean, there's something special about every single thing we read this year, uh, but All the Pretty Horses was probably my favorite series of the year just, I I loved mm. that. I loved having a different perspective. I felt like I got to know the two of you better. And I, <laughs> it was just, you know, I'm a girl. I like that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I just time. like loved that whole series and the conversations we had and what we drew out of it. And, the, and especially, I think the engagement from the Close Reads community, I think all three of us weren't sure how that was going to go considering kind of the graphic content of the book. And instead it was just this really, I think like community building and powerful experience to see the impact of, of, of that book on the whole community.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was a great experience.
2: Tim, what about you? I'd say the exact same as Heidi, just for the sake of variation. I think I might put a gathering of old men Mm. above death comes for the archbishop. It's kind of funny. I think I enjoyed the prose of death comes for the archbishop more, but I think I enjoyed the kind of like overall, I don't even know how to say it. I, I, I felt really edified by a gathering of old men. Um mm. In a way, and that's why I put it slightly ahead of Death Comes for the Archbishop, even though I just think the prose of Death Comes from the Archbishop is just so lovely and simple and sublime. What about for you, David?
0: You know, I think for me, um, Tim, you weren't on the Jane Eyre episodes. I was so hoping
1: you were going to say Jane Eyre.
0: (laughs) I liked Jane Eyre more than I expected to. Mm. If that's, you know, like I had read it years ago. I, I hadn't returned to it in so long. Um, I was, I mean, college, probably maybe, maybe I read bits and pieces of it. I don't remember what I said on the show. I probably had gone back and actually looked, but I hadn't read it in so long. And the experience of reading that was more inspiring and enlightening. And as you use the word, Tim edifying, mm. and there was so many books that I love so many authors that I love that you can see, um, Jane Eyre and, and Bronte's influence all over, um, writers who've kind of followed in her footsteps. So I really, I thought that was the one that I think when I look back, that's that really surprised me the most at how much I loved it. I knew there, I was going to love all the pretty horses.
2: Were there particular things about Jane Eyre that you that surprised you during the second reading that you don't remember in the first reading?
0: I think the thing that struck me this time was how clean her writing was. It was. Um, I mean, that's kind of like you know, oops, one of those things that I talk about all the time. But it felt like the prose was very transitional. Like it had felt a little bit like it was from an older era and yet the way it was shaping the novel and the way the sentences were being shaped and things like that didn't feel that much different than so much that was, that was written in the 20th century. And Mm -hmm. so I was really surprised at how it felt both old in the best ways and new in the best ways yeah. Uh, in terms of the writing. And then of course, you know, the journey that Jane goes on and all that is, is wonderful too. And the, the complicated nature of Rochester and all that. Um, I loved those conversations. Um, and I got, and I, I got to say, we talked a lot about it at the time, but those editions that Karen Swallow prior is doing the way they lay them out and all that, they're so readable. And I, re- I, that's the kind of thing I really appreciate about, about book design. So uh, I want to, sh- you know, give credit to the, to the, the people that worked on that book because it's very readable. Just the actual artifact of the book itself is very readable. But and I think she's going to have
2: released Tessa of the Durbervilles yeah. when we yeah. do it in 2022.
0: Yeah, that's coming out in, I believe they pushed it to April. So we'll start that. I think it's towards the end of April when we're going to start that. But this, yeah, it's the same editions. And that's a book I've actually never read. Um, that's a classic that's been on my list to, as a gap to fill for a long time. So I'm very excited to read that, even if I don't love it. You know, I'm excited to read it and I haven't read enough Hardy for sure. Um, okay. So here's another question I have for you. Uh, we're going to do our top fives in a second. How did you each sort of, Oh, you know what? Let me hold on to that. Let me ask this question. What is a book or an author that you focused on this year that was like, okay, this is somebody I want to read that I've never read before, or I need to reread that I haven't read in a long time. I'm talking, you know, some, some, some degree of, of a classic or something like that. Heidi, did you have anything like that, that you came into 2021 wanting to, to, to read?
1: Yeah, I, I read uh, The Gulag Archipelago this year. Oh, Solzhenitsyn. Um, yeah, and I I did not make it far into the second book um, because it's really long and really, really intense to read and so relevant for our time. And it's painful. Like it was so pain, it's a painful book to read anyway, it has graphic descriptions of Torture And the gulags and, uh, you know, Solzhenitsyn was bearing witness to the atrocities of the 20th century, particularly in Russia, uh, that were, I mean, repeated in various iterations all over the world during the most violent century of human existence. Mm. And yeah. um, and he's an incredible writer and thinker, philosopher. He suffered himself. He, he was... Uh, he was imprisoned in the gulag. Um, and so he saw these things with his own eyes and wrote about them. And, uh, and And so it was excruciating to read and I didn't make it all the way through because I just have to put it aside for, you know, weeks at a time um, because it, it, it's, it almost feels like too much. But it's important, I think, to read that, to go to, it's important to be a witness to somebody who's bearing witness to something. Um, and so... I'm, I'm trying to hold that space for that, but it's hard. So I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm still doing it, still working through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tim, do you have anything like that?
2: I do. I'd like to tell a brief story, a segue story before I do that. Just before we started podcasting, I had an interview with one of my, one of our clients that I was interviewing for the speech writing that I do, a Russian man. And at the end of the interview, I said, hey, can I just ask you a personal question? My personal question is, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky? And he said, hmm, it's very hard. I say it's Dostoevsky. Tolstoy good with description. Dostoevsky change way one think. And I said, well done. Very well done. Um, I hope it's okay in this day and age to imitate Russians, because I just did. And if I if I, 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 I think get it's any blowback... I, I think it's the one group of people you are. Allowed I think to it imitate. is. I think they and the Danes, I just cannot <laughs> do a Danish <laughs> accent.
0: Did you, was he actually <laughs> Danish? Did to the Russian so you can Danish do the Danish
2: accent? accent? I don't think I would that recognize a, a Danish accent either. Can I tell another sure, story? I need his like, education. I'm, I'm really walking into kind of like swampy territory. Um, <laughs> I, I think. Well, I mean, one of the things, you know, I turned 50 this year and one of the things that I have really kind of learned, I guess I've just kind of gleaned from my time on this earth, my half century on this earth is like, number one, it's just, it's wrong to make fun of people for, you know, ethnicity, background, socioeconomic status, um, race. And the second thing that I've learned is that I just really hate the Danes.
1: <laughs> I, that, I, that took a turn. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Could you warn us next time?
0: <laughs> the way, the way, the way Tim was setting it up, I knew something was coming.
1: I know. I but just it wasn't didn't go in the direction sure. that you thought.
0: I, know, I just wasn't quite sure well, which and particular no way, in your thing you
1: were going to. love for Hamlet, I feel like you have. Been... No,
2: I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the reason that, that joke works so well is that nobody hates the Danes. Like right. nobody in my experience is just like down with Probably Denmark. the Swedes. Yeah, probably the Swedes. Yeah, there's just not a the lot of Swedes or Norwegians in my yeah. life. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be like, Tim, let me tell you about the Danes. Yeah. Let me tell you the reason about why.
0: our southern
2: neighbors. Yes, right, right. And it has to, like, to do with some war, you know, that's kind a of a like lost probably. in antiquity. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, that's the end of my <laughs> stupid segue. Yeah, what's the book now? <laughs> um, I don't even remember. Oh, I love David Brooks, who writes twice in the New York Times. I think mm-hmm. mm, Tuesday and Friday he has a column in the New York Times. But I've never read any of his books, and I've just paid close attention to him this year, But I don't want to tell you which book that I focused on because it does make it into my top five. Oh, okay.
1: okay. All right. Do you want to know my favorite thing about what Tim just said, by the way, is, is that it's clear you've told that joke many a time, which just makes sense for a 50-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> I, was
2: talking with, I was talking with Galen today. I was like, hey, what is the deal with dad brain that dad brain – makes you tell jokes multiple times. Or if you have like a little quip that you like to go to, you tell it over and over and over. There's something about dad brain that it happens with dad brain. It doesn't happen with mom brain. It doesn't happen with kid brain. It doesn't happen with teenage brain. What's the deal? Like, I'll I'll give you the example. Here's the example.
1: Men are an enduring mystery to me in general. So, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to the
2: wrong. Is this this going in the show? This is going to be a close rant. This is a vein of like untapped (laughs) humor.
0: Okay, hold on, hold on. This is our first example of close rant. This is free for everybody. This is an example example. of what you're going to get when you join Patreon.
2: Oh, I love it. First example of close rant.
1: Dad brain. Dad brain. Tim McIntosh. What's the
0: deal with dad
1: brain? What's the deal
2: with dad brain? So my dad had this joke that he would go to, I am telling you, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times, here's the joke. I'll enact it. Um, we like, he cooked hamburgers on the grill. He brought them in and all the fixings are out there. The family's gathered around, and dad would say, um, anybody want some like uncooked onions on their burger? And I would say, "Ugh, gross. No, thanks. And he'd say, great. More for us. That joke that joke, if, I'm telling you, if it happened once, it happened a hundred times. You don't like, you don't like squash, Ste- stewed squash? Great, more for us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know that he knew that he told that joke multiple times, but he never refrained. He never said, you know what? For the sake of good taste, I got to scale it That's back enough. this year. <laughs> never did it. And David, as the only current dad in among the triumvirate that is us <laughs> if it's if it hasn't arrived for you it's coming for you
1: i can't wait that day i really hope i'm around for that me too
2: we're gonna be at a circe conference and david's gonna be like hey gather around you guys and he's gonna roll out with the like the dad trope it's gonna be the best day
0: i'll, I'll plan it i'll i'll plan it for this for this year i'll, I'll start to work on close reads Hey, I mean, you know what? The thing about comedy, it's hard. So comedians do the same routines every day, just from city to city. So, you know, it's hard to be funny. If it something is. works, you
2: might as well stick with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not broken. Don't fix it.
1: It's funny the first time. It's funny every uh-huh, time. Uh-huh. <laughs> or
2: if it's funny the first you kind of go, time go in the other direction. Time. First time, it's funny. Second time, it's old. Third time, it's a spanking.
0: <laughs> have you used that one before, Tim? Yeah, um, I have.
2: I'm not even a dad.
0: <laughs> so maybe it's got nothing to do with like yeah, maybe offspring. It's, yeah, it's just
2: man. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just the decay of the middle-aged male brain.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure that the list we're about to reveal also have something to do with the decay of the middle-aged brain. <laughs> but we've got um we each chose five books and we, we kind of have some freedom. Each of us had some freedom to Make the lists as we saw fit. So for example, my list are my five top books, my five favorite books from 2021 only. I only stuck with books that were released in
1: 2021.
0: Oh, we didn't be nice. I didn't ask that of you all. So you guys had the freedom to do. So what I want to do is say, like, how did you structure your list? Don't give the answers. Like, don't give the books because we're going to talk about some honorable mentions first. But what are the what are the books like what's the what's the way you thought about your list tim how did you do that
2: it was simple i rem, try to remember every book that i have read during the year and then i just culled from that the five that i enjoyed the most okay. it was very unscientific so it, it was
0: all decades all centuries all yep. years all yep. you didn't you didn't try to focus it in any particular kind of way right okay how what will you
1: I did books that I read cover to cover for the first time in 2021 and that were either most enjoyable or memorable like ones that impacted <clears throat> or formed me the most like left like a lingering yeah. impact.
2: Yeah yeah yeah. And, and for this conversation I'm assuming that we all left close reads books or the plays the thing plays Texts. off the list. I did Okay. Me
1: too. Did you, Heidi? But not intentionally, just because that was how it played out.
2: Let me get this straight. None of the Close Reads books made your top five then?
1: Right. But Jane Eyre almost did, but I picked ones I had only read that in for the the first first time time in 2021. Which only left a handful of the Close Reads books, and none of them made the list. Okay,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Like I said, I chose 2021 because, you know, that was the way I wanted to approach it. I was thinking about my favorite books of the year anyway for something I'm writing for Goldberry. So that's, I just thought it'd be fun to kind of represent the books that came out this year and mention some that people might not have heard of. Um, And I read, how many books would you say you, you read significant portions of, but then quit? Because I read, part of my job is to know what's going on in books. So I read a ton of books that I don't finish, or I listen to a lot of books that I don't finish because I want to be able to have conversations with them. And I probably did that with like dozens of books. So I don't even count those on my reading lists, although it did take up many hours of of reading and listening. But I'm curious if how much of that is a part of your reading lives.
1: I keep two lists of books for the year. One is a list of books I read cover to cover. And then I I keep a list of books that I only read portions of but I don't count them toward my total number of books for the yeah, that okay. I read for the year. And I do that because I read a ton of excerpts or partials from books that I teach. And it's mm-hmm. like real reading, but I didn't read all yeah. of the Odyssey cover to cover this year, the way I often do, but I still read a significant portion of it. So that goes on a separate list.
0: Okay. So that yeah. list
1: had 11 titles on it and all of them were books that I taught.
2: Okay. Tim, what about you? I generally, if I start a book, I finish it. It's a bad book if I don't finish it. I just feel some sort of like moral obligation or, I'm like, the same or some way, sort of him. like Yeah. Do you feel like I used to be? I, I just, have a just character flaw if I don't finish this book. I yeah, feel, I, mean, I, yeah, like I,
1: I just get grumpy because I feel like if I'm going to put a lot of effort into it, I want to. I want it on yeah. my list. I'm like a list person. I want to be like, check it off the list. That's why I finished. the. Over that's just what I, was gonna,
2: I was trying to remember the name that of that book, book that you yep. were just like, I got to grind through this thing. I don't mm-hmm. like it, but I got to, I got to make it. Yeah. I'm kind
0: of, that's how I actually am, but I've had to adjust that with the store because it becomes right. some of it's just like, I have to move on. I know this book enough, but it's not catching me. Like I don't love it. So I just, there's just not enough time for me to, Right. C- I've got to move on to the next thing that I want to know about. And then if something really catches me, then that's when I finish it. So, okay, let's talk about some honorable mentions. What are some books that didn't make your top five, but that you nonetheless uh, would like to commend or had a great experience reading? How do you have a couple?
1: Yeah, I have three. One is Rules of Civility by M.R. Tolles, which I loved. And I read this year and have recommended it many, many a time, but it just kind of... Made it like number six of my top five. So mm. first honorable mention. It's my favorite of his books. Oh, it's so good. I love it. Um, and then uh, Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius, which I read for the first time cover to cover this year, although I read excerpts mm. of it in the past. And mm. then *Solovyov* and Laryanov, which is Eugene Vodolazhkin's first novel, but it was it's the m- most recently translated into English
0: Right. Um, it's kind of like a Russian crime novel, right?
1: Yeah, it's great. It's, it's actually the most inaccessible of his novels. You have to know a bit about Russian culture and history and literature in order to really gain from it. And there's some, I think, that's lost in translation. Like the translation was a bit disjointed to me, which is different from Loris mm. or The Aviator. Yeah. But I loved it nonetheless, it's just, I think, and probably this is because it's lost in translation. I think it's the weakest of his novels that I've read, but I still loved it. And it definitely makes it on my honorable mention.
2: Mm. Tim, any honorable mentions? I'm not going to highly recommend this book, but I am glad that I read it. I read Dune for the first time.
1: Oh yeah, I've never read that. It It's,
2: let me say, I saw the movie in the theater And I loved the movie. Like, I loved the movie. I would go see the movie again in the theater. I read the book in preparation for seeing the movie. And I was disappointed by the book. You can see my review on my Goodreads profile. I Okay, but I think it's mainly a complaint with the genre that is science fiction. I feel like science fiction is about world building more than it's about, like, interpersonal like, or, or or psychological realism. And Mm -hmm. I, the book kind of disappointed a little bit because I love psychological realism more than I love world building. But if world building is your thing, Dune is a great book. It's just, that's not, that's not what I read books for. Did you all
0: purposefully try to make sure you had nonfiction on your list? Like, did you choose that? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. How about
1: you, David? What are your honorable mentions?
0: I had an 11 book shortlist that I had to window down to five. So I'll just mention the other six books that I loved this year. One is called the 12 lives of Alfred Hitchcock. It's a biography of of Hitchcock and is probably like my number six book this year. Maybe it's great. Love that book. Very detailed gets into his life, his work, the connections between, you know, how his films were evolving and his, his skill as a filmmaker, but also what was going on in his weird brain. Then also, uh, Andrew Peterson's book, God of the Garden, is really good. It's a great book about, it's a kind of a memoir, spiritual memoir, but it's also about trees. So if you like trees, you should read this book. I really liked Colson Whitehead's new book, Harlem Shuffle. He's won the Pulitzer Prize twice, most famously for the Underground Railroad a few years ago, which is now an Amazon series. And this new book is a 1960s like, heist novel. Um, it's great. Heidi, you read it, right?
1: Yeah, I did. I liked it.
0: Yeah, that that book um, was one of the ones that I, uh, re- you know, if you like crime fiction, but, but like that's well written and literary Harlem Shuffle would, is definitely worth reading. I want to mention Claire Keegan's book, Small Things Like These. It's a novella and it takes place at Christmas time. Heidi, have you read this? I yeah. still
1: haven't read it. It's on my list next to my bed or on my little pile, but here so we are. So it's like,
0: it's a two hour read, you know, it, it's, it's very brief. It's about, it takes place in the eighties in Ireland. It's a very Irish book. It takes place right before Christmas. And it's this guy who was an orphan. He delivers coal and other fuel to people around this Irish village and he starts to discover these weird things about his past and about the past of this town to me it ended a, just a tad bit sentimentally otherwise it ends up in my top five because the prose in it is maybe my favorite it's, it's up there for me it's one of the most beautifully written books in terms of just the quality of the sentences so it's, it's very high up there for me two more to mention one is called Memoirs of Stockholm Sven um, have, have you guys heard about this book? no It's a new novel, uh, came out this fall. It's loosely based on a true story. It's about a guy who was working in the mines in the early 1900s in Finland, I believe, or Iceland. And there's a, there's a collapse in the mine and he gets disfigured and then separates himself from society. Basically he goes and lives like in the Arctic. And there's a couple trappers up there that teach him how to survive and, a dog and it's written truly in the form of a memoir. So it feels a little episodic. It feels a little bit journalistic, like almost like you're reading a narrative version of something Thoreau would have written, but the writing is incredible. Great nature stuff. A few things in it that drive me a little nuts. Uh, so it didn't make my list, but um, it's one of the books that I will go back to and read again and, and think about the most um, very, very moody, great moody wintry book. And then lastly, this is a book from 2020. So I didn't include it on my list but it's Phil Clay's book, Missionaries. Have either of you read this? I know I mentioned it to you.
2: No.
1: Again on my TBR.
0: So Phil Clay was, um, he's a Catholic writer who was a special ops officer in Iraq or Afghanistan for, Mm. I think in multiple tours, he wrote a book called redeployment, which is a book of short stories. And they're all about soldiers. And it won the, I believe it won the national book award back in like nine or 10 or 12 or some other year. And, um, this is a novel that he, it was released last year and it takes place in Iraq in like 2000, or Afghanistan in like 2009. And then it takes place in Colombia at different decades. And basically it talks, it's about how a lot of the special forces that we, special force soldiers that we sent to Afghanistan, after they left, they'd get sent to Colombia and they were involved in squashing the, the drug cartels. Mm-hmm. But then that led to a lot of the same issues with the Colombian the Colombian people that happened in the Arab world with you know children being kind of radicalized and things like that and so it's a book about the cost of war it's it's, it's like a cross between you know the power and the glory or the quiet American there's a lot the Graham Greene influences are there a lot with the Catholic novelist part with um, like Tree of Smoke by Dennis Johnson so if you love any of that kind of stuff it's a little gruesome at times because it's a war novel but it's it's a, one of the best war novels I've read in years um, and it's also Full of lots of questions about politics and religion and how those things intersect with war and the choices that we make as a society and what the individual has to decide to do in the midst of, you know, the international conflicts. Like what role does the individual conscience have in a world that is kind of being torn apart by by things that are at a much higher level decisions that people are making? For entire communities, uh, and how faith plays into that. Great! It's a it's amazing. It's a great book. Uh, but it was a, it would have made it would have been my top three for sure if it had come out in 2021. But it came out in 2020. So those are all those are all books that I loved. Before we move on to our official list, though, is there a book that you're reading that you haven't finished that would show up on your list? You think, Tim? You're nodding.
2: Codebreaker by Walter Isaacson.
0: Oh yeah. That's a 2021 book, isn't
2: it? I think it is. It might be it's 2020. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is recent. It's about Jennifer Doudna, who basically developed the CRISPR technology that is kind of like, like front and center in gene splicing and gene therapy. And it's kind of one of those, part of the reason that I, a couple of reasons that I read it. One, Walter Isaacson, I think is just a great, biographer. He wrote Steve Jobs' biography, which I read, the Einstein biography, which I read. And I also just, the whole gene splicing world is kind of like, it can be kind of scary. Like, you know, anybody who's read Brave New World or is just kind of familiar with the dystopias associated with having power over the gene can get pretty nervy. And I put myself, count myself among them. Reading this book kind of calmed my nerves a little bit because there's a real, among everybody who's involved in that, that's an exaggeration, among thoughtful, broad-minded people, I think there's real concern about the ethical implications of gene slicing. And so it's really great to read that the woman who developed gene splicing, the CRISPR technology, Jennifer Doudna, is so concerned with kind of like making, having a discussion about what the power looks like, like how can it be used to combat illness, um, mm. but not meddle with human nature in a way that we find damaging, immoral. Yeah, Codebreaker yeah. by Walter Isaacson. I'm still in the middle of it. Big book. It's demanding. It's a big book, and it's demanding like all sorts of scientific knowledge that I don't have. Yeah, yeah. I've got a friend who studies at Penn. She's in that world and she'd met Jennifer Doudna, which is like meeting, it's kind of like meeting Einstein. I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. I think maybe in 50 years people, I don't know that she, that Jennifer Doudna has this sort of um, kind of eccentricities that made Einstein so famous. But the story is that yeah. <laughs> the kind of effects of CRISPR are just going to be tremendous, so every once in a while in reading this book, I'll text my friend. I'll be like, hey, can you walk me through, like, what is going on in this book? What is this saying? Yeah.
0: Heidi, what about you? Something you're in the middle of.
1: I'm in the middle of the life of St. Silouan, which I thought was going to be kind of a biography of a saintly, holy life. But instead, it's a compilation of thoughts and spiritual insights that's really really intense reading so i thought it was going to be kind of a i mean it's a lot of pages but i thought it was going to be kind of a short read but instead it's it's taken me a couple of months and i'm only about halfway through so that's going to take a little while and it might but it's really like profoundly meaningful so it might make it on my list next year who knows how about you
0: yeah, so oh, I want to mention two books. One is called Religion of the Apostles. It's by mm. uh, Father Stephen DeYoung. I
1: read that this year, yeah.
0: And it's, I haven't finished it. It's a, it's a really interesting book about what the early church fathers believed. I mean, that's, that's particularly about the Trinity and how some of those beliefs came to be central to the church. And um, that's like the one sentence log line. If you're really interested in the early church, highly recommend it. It is from an Orthodox perspective, but it's not like, I think anybody, anybody from any denominational perspective, I think. Yeah, it, it's just it, the culture of the early church. Yeah. 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 Uh, the other one is if I had finished this book, I'm pretty certain it would be in my top two. It is a book. I'm holding it up here for Heidi. It's called Civilizations. Did I send you, did I tell you about you this book You told me, ago? you
1: showed it to me at the store, okay. but I did not buy it. And now I'm regretting that.
0: It's, well, I hadn't read it. I just started it fairly recently. I had been kind of saving it. And then Sam Sachs, used the Wall Street Journal, fiction, right. You know, critic, he said, this is his favorite book of the year. Um, and I had kind of been putting it off. It's kind of, it's French. Laurent Benet is the name of the author. He's famous for a book called uh, H-h-h-h, I think that's what it's called. Uh, it's so it's translated into English and it is basically, it is wild. It is wild. The writing is incredible, but it's like a revisionist history book. So basically it asks you to imagine three things, one in 1000, the year 1000, Eric, the red's daughter heads South from Greenland and like sweeps across Europe in 1492. Columbus doesn't discover America, but instead gets ambushed in Cuba. And then in 1531, the Incas invade Europe and they find Europe like on the brink of revolution. And all the people are like, you know, and are ready, are ready to do what they did anyway. Right. But it turns out that, um, the Incas don't get wiped out. They, they invade europe so it asks you to assume these three things are happening in history and it's written almost like an old school historical like like almost like like a, a modern version no it's not textbook it's more like reading a modern a modernized novelized version of like Tacitus or like plutarch oh, or. i don't yeah. know even know how to explain it um huh. the, the columbus part is like it's columbus's diaries so That's it's cool. it's Fragments of Columbus's diaries, Um, but he he hasn't discovered. He gets stuck in Cuba, basically, Um, and at times it is downright hilarious. Like he he, it's so inventive and interesting. And um, I'm not a huge revisionist history type person, although there's a book on my actual list that is kind of a revisionist history. But this book is so interesting and fun, and has so much to say about like power and the way history is written, and like. But you could also just read it as a yarn about like Vikings. And Inca, incan warriors sweeping across europe at the time of the reformation you know it's uh that's cool it's so fun if i i'm i'm certain that when i f- i'm gonna finish it before the year's up because i want us to be on my list but if if i had finished it before this episode it would have been in my top five for sure so definitely recommend checking out civilizations by laurent laurent l-a-u-r-e-n-t benet b-i-n-e-t french raider Lots of there's been a lot of amazing stuff in translation in the last couple of years, um, and a lot of like New York Review of Books and other publishers are bringing a lot of great French writing and Spanish writing over. So something I've discovered, my has been expanded for me in owning the store. Okay, let's talk about our lists. Um, let's do five. Let's do a countdown. Let's do our fifth first. So. Tim, how about you go first? And I'm going to keep this, I'm going to write this down so that we can post our lists. Graham can make a graphic for us with, our, with the books on it and people can, can see those. And then we'll make a bookshop.org list too for people who want to get any of these through Goldberry. I mean, get it through your local bookstore or whatever, but in the event that you want to get them through Goldberry, then we'll have a bookshop list for that. Okay, Tim, what is your number
2: five? It's a book that I had to read because to do research for one of my clients. The client is named City of Refuge. City of Refuge is a one stop shop resource kind of oasis in the middle of like one of the worst cities in the south, worst parts of the city in the southeast, which is the west side of Atlanta. Really dangerous zip code. A guy named Bruce Deal moved there with his whole family. They moved into this church in like the west side. And It's just the story of kind of his life and his organization in west side of Atlanta. It's called Trust First, Bruce Deal, D-E-E-L. And it's just a great story. I I picked it up as research and I read it in like a day and a half. It was so well written and the stories are so compelling. I highly recommend it. Mm.
0: So, okay. Trust First by Bruce Deal. All right, Heidi, what's your fifth?
1: Uh, My fifth is uh, Father Arseni, which is a very easy read, a biography of a Russian priest who was imprisoned during the Bolshevik Revolution. Well, actually it was after. It was the middle of the century. Um, And it's the story of his ministry and impact on the lives of other prisoners in the Gulag with him uh, and then his life. And ministry after his release. Um, and it's an incredibly powerful story, a very easy read. I read it for myself and loved it. And now I'm reading it aloud to my family over our breakfast like devotions. Um, Who told and you it's about that just, book, Heidi? Um, I picked it up at our church bookstore, actually. Hmm. Um, and it's it's just so powerful and a very easy read. Um, and it has a lot of the same kind of intensity as something like the Gulag Archipelago without graphic description. So it it gives you an insight into the persecuted. 7,000 pages shorter. Yeah, and 7,000 pages shorter. It's a, much, it's a very easy read. And it's, yes, and it will... Give like the soul and the mind like a glimpse into life for the persecuted Christian uh, behind the iron curtain without the graphic descriptions. It's totally appropriate for older children and teenagers. I loved this book. It was very, very um, insightful historically as well as being spiritually edifying, and and it provides an, an ideal type for a. Uh, for for people to imitate, for steadfastness of faith in the face of persecution. Highly recommend this book. Loved it.
0: So we've got Trust First, Father Arseny, and then my fifth book. Heidi, you're going to laugh at this one, probably. You guys are going like someone doing inner city ministry, Father Arseny.
1: You're going to you do Maude Dixon, aren't you?
0: Persecution. My fifth, my fifth favorite breed of the year was Who is Maude Dixon by Alexandra <laughs> Andrews?
1: Very different kind of book, but still great. <laughs>
0: Who is Maud Dixon is kind of like a psychological thriller in the vein of like a Patricia Highsmith. So if you like the talented Mr. Ripley or you like Strangers on a Train, those would be the ones that she's most famous for. Um, It's it's the book that I've hand-sold the most in the store that people are like, I'm so glad they come back. I've never had anybody tell me that they didn't like it. It's twisty. It's well-written. It's twisty and turny. It's got, I mean, it's not highbrow but it's very fun. It's very well written. It's very well done. It's got full of, it's full of surprises. I want to read it again. Um, I think about it all the time, honestly. And that's kind of why I included it on the list because I don't really know why, but I, th- I think about scenes and moments from it f- all, all the time. And I, that's kind of, for me, that's one of the signs like this book is, has- mm-hmm my experience with it. I'm not like, again, I'm not saying these are the five best books that were written in 2021. I don't know that I haven't read enough of them, but um, this was definitely one of the books that, that I enjoyed the most. Um, I I interviewed Alexandra Andrews for bibliography and we talked about the books that inspired her and she and her husband are both great novelists. So uh, her, her husband's book, the index of self-destructive acts was my favorite book of 2020, 2020. So it's uh, my favorite novel probably, but it's just fun. Heidi, do you want to comment on this book at all? Or, you know, no, I really liked it. Like you said, it's just a Father fun read. Arsene?
1: I read it and I read it on the plane. Like it's just, it's one of those reads you pick up, you read just for fun. Don't expect to be, you know, spiritually out of and Don't expect a morality tale. It is just no. for fun.
0: Yeah. And I that's wanted great. to include one book on here. That's like, you know, it's the book that I'll probably return to in a couple of years when I'm at the beach or when I'm kind of feeling like, you know, I just want to just read something fun. And, and a little, it's a little bit dark. It's got to be a little bit yeah. dark for me to be dark truly funny.
1: And it's kind of yeah. one of those books that you read when you're feeling a little bit diabolical and want to indulge that a bit. It's great. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Without actually killing anybody. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Tim, what's your
2: fourth? Number four for me is The Memory of Old Jack by Wendell Berry. So the three so of us good. did a a close reads, our first ever close reads retreat this summer. And we had a fairly heavy Wendell Berry reading list. And obviously, I'm a big Wendell Berry fan. But this, this novel for me was just really exceptional. Even among his work, it was really exceptional. So The Memory of Old Jack.
0: And the experience of doing it with close-reads people. Was, that was a
2: big deal. Reading it with yeah. 25 close-reads people was a really big deal. And,
0: and if I hadn't been doing... Just 2021 It probably would have Shown up on mine the, the
2: experience of that Was great Was that your Second third time Reading that book David How many times Have you read that
0: Memory of Old Jack um, I, You know what Three Yeah Something like that Alright So we've got Tim's got Trust First And the Memory of Old Jack Heidi What's your Fourth
1: My number four And I am not Making this up Is The Memory of Old Jack By what? Wendell Berry What
2: <laughs> <laughs> No kidding
1: I'd never read it before. This was my first time reading it. And I just loved it. I thought it was an extraordinary Mm -hmm. novel. That phrase, hard won, beautiful knowledge has become part of the furniture of my mind Uh, that comes from actually not even the book itself. It's from introduction that Wendell Berry wrote, a little half-page introduction. And he says, mm-hmm. my loyalty to this man and his hard-won beautiful mm-hmm. knowledge remains undiminished, even in the the changes that he made in a second edition. Um, I, I, I couldn't sleep <laughs> last night, so I got up and flipped through looking for, you know, quotes and kind of reminding myself of the books on my list And I found all my margin notes and underlines and I was like kind of moved to tears, which might've been because I didn't sleep, but it was also because (laughs) it's just, it was such a powerful experience doing that Close Reads Retreat. And, you know, I jotted down notes from the other participants and things that had come to me and all these underlines. It's just special. Like it, it, it created a bond between, you know, me and the book and between the three of us and our entire community. It was just so special to read. So I, I mean, I loved this book. So, number yeah. four, Memory of Old Jeff Wendell Berry.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm only doing 2021 books, but that would be, it would certainly be on my list for the most memorable experiences that I that I had this year. I was a little unsure of whether I should include that when we talked about the Close Reads books. I thought about just saying that one, but we didn't do it on the show. Um, okay, my number hey David, four. David,
2: before you give number four, yeah. do we have any forthcoming information about a forthcoming Close Reads retreat? We, we do in... actually
0: we do oh really we're working on finalizing the final details but we have a uh, we're gonna have a retreat it's gonna be the week of june 5th that week roughly you know i don't know the exact dates off the top of my head because i didn't plan to to do this it's going to be about well about a little book that heidi in particular
1: i can't wait loves. i'm so excited
0: and that's brideshead revisited so it's going to be about Evelyn Waugh brideshead revisited and it's, the bright young things it's a Evil redemption and Wah was... Week. And Waugh was part of the group of writers, the English writers during that period called the Bright Young Things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Brideshead Revisited, but we're going to do poetry each day from different poets from that era, from, of that, from that group, and maybe a couple of short stories here and there. So that's going to be the week of June 5th. Uh, I'm, I am I'm I should be actually signing a contract today. Oh, and then I've got to get a deposit to them. And then we're going to be um, opening up registration. Graham's working on some graphics and some things like that. So that will be open to 20... It'll Be twenty people. We're going to meet at the Shetola Resort, Blowing Rock, North Carolina, and we're going to have a great time. So, brideshead revisited and the Bright Young Things. More more details, you know, and places to register. We'll do. You'll be able to pay the uh, you know the initial deposit on your seats if you want to claim them through our website, and then pay by check for the for the balance of that. But it's going to be it's going to be an amazing time. We're I mean, last year was was so great. If it was anything and, like last year. And I think brideshead revisited we'll has been good a, shape yeah, said Revisit has a similar hold on people's imaginations in a way that's similar to what to what uh, Barry does. Okay, so my number four, I know, Tim, you got to get to a meeting. So I'm just going to jump into this. My number four is a nature book. I love nature books. And I particularly love books that send me to other books. And so I had to include one like that on my list. So this book is called Beloved Beasts Fighting for Life in an Age of Extinction. I mentioned this, I think, early in the fall or the late summer in one of our videos that we did. And it's by Mich- Michelle Nishwi, I believe is how you say her name. I I, I should have double checked that before I said it, but it's N-I-J-H-U-I-S. And it's a book. The logline is it's a book about the conservation movement, but it has different chapters on all kinds of different people like Rachel Carson and Aldo Leopold and John Weir. And, you know, there's, it leaves a lot of questions for me. There's things that I don't necessarily agree with at all the times. There's presuppositions I don't necessarily buy into, but it's all about how, you know, 150 years ago, we didn't understand that, an, that like, the bison could go extinct. We didn't understand how that happened. And over time, people have begun to study these things and learn more. And so it's about the movement to conserve all these wonderful creatures, you know, whether it's certain tiny frogs in Brazil or, or the bison, you know, famously. And, but it's also about the people behind it. So it's like the story of Aldo Leopold, Aldo Leopold and John Weir and Rachel Carson and people like that. So it's a great book, especially because it, it gets you adding more, more cl- classic works of nature writing to your, to your list. So I really loved that book and I had to include, you know, one book of one, one nature book on this. There's a, I read a, several other ones that didn't come out in 2021, uh, like Thoreau's I'm working on, I'm working my way through Thoreau's journals, for example, but, uh, that's a great one. All right, Tim, what's your third?
2: Number three for me is a book that I did an interview about with the author. The book is Shakespeare in a Divided America by James Shapiro. So if you pay attention to the Plays the Thing podcasts, probably in March, uh, I do this an interview with the author, James Shapiro. And it's all about how it's basically that two it's got kind of a twin theses. Number one, Shakespeare like rivals only, the Bible is probably the only rival to Shakespeare as far as its influence on the American populace. And number two, the stories that that James Shapiro tells in the book are about how Shakespeare is kind of used by rival political factions for the last 250 years, to kind of get their point across, to gather power. Mm. It's just a great, great book. Heidi? It's a nice blue cover, too. Yeah, it's a really nice design. What about you, Heidi? All right,
1: Heidi, your third. My number three is called The Well-Gardened Mind by Sue oh, yeah. Stewart-Smith. I loved this book because it's so, so many things that I love. It's only missing wine. So um, <laughs> it's a- It's a book written by a psychotherapist. She's actually a Freudian psychoanalyst, which is kind of interesting. Uh, But she's a therapist. And in grieving the death of her father as an adult... Um, she developed a love for gardening mm. because her father mm. was a gardener. And so then she started doing research on the effects of gardening and growing plants on the human mind and the human soul. And she wrote a book about it called The Well-Gardened Mind. Um, and so she talks all about the healing power of plants um, and of caring for plants and um, and the impact of on her, And then she does all of this, like, like really rich research on different programs and garden gardening programs that are being done and used in therapy all over the world, um, in prisons and in schools and in hospitals. It's just an absolutely lovely book. She's a beautiful mm-hmm. writer um, and a gardener and a therapist. And it was just just the best, best book. I loved it. I listened to it twice on Audible. Oh, wow.
0: So. There are several great nature books that came out in the last couple yeah. of years, like really, really great ones. All right, so was that my third now? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so my third is a spy novel. So if you know me, you know that this is inevitable. Uh, John Le Carré had a new book out. It's called Silverview. It's not the one that I chose. Um, I actually did enjoy that because it's about a bookseller and all that, and it, it's good. The Damascus Station is the best spy novel I have read in years it's it's inc- absolutely incredible have you have either of you read this or heard of it no heard damascus of it. station damascus station yeah so if you like classic spy novels you know like 1960s 70s john le Carre, like tons of spycraft. you get stuck in the weeds of like how they make drops and they're training people and all that kind of stuff it's by david mccloskey who was a cia operative in the middle east and so it's about the cia operative and his agent, or what do you call the, you know, the person who he has turned high up in the Syrian government mm. and how they're infiltrating it. And they're trying to take out these like basically killers high up in the, in the Syrian government. And, you know, it's got all the tradecraft stuff that if you love a good spy novel, uh, but it's also, it's well-written. It's got a little bit of a romance at its center. It's got you know, the, I read the last 200 pages in one night. And wow. that doesn't happen to me a lot. Cause I don't have time. I was up till like 2am because it was wow. just, you know, I had to finish. I had to keep going. So just in terms of a great experience and a book that's just so up my alley, I had to include it. Um, I guess my, the books I end up choosing here, two of the three now have been kind of like genre reads, but they're both so well done that when, you know, when I find genre books that are just genuinely well done, that makes me really happy. And these two, who is my Dixon and especially Damascus station both fit the bill for me on that. Um, Okay, Tim, we're down to two now. What's your?
2: My number two is by the aforementioned David Brooks, who is a kind of, I would call him something like a moderate or a forward-thinking conservative. And the book is The Second Mountain. And it's basically, it's basically, his thesis is, the first part of one's life one's often concerned with kind of like achievement um accomplishment you know beginning a career establishing a career beginning a family establishing a family and then oftentimes there's this kind of moment of reckoning where you're like am i am i living the kind of life that i sh- that i'm going to be proud of at the end of my life and that's the second mountain. The first mountain is that kind of like drive forward accomplishment. And the second mountain is the drive toward a meaningful life or a good life. And I just think it's just wonderful. I, yeah. I just love David Brooks. I wish that David Brooks had a more, an even bigger platform than he already has. Hmm.
0: So your five, your top four so far are, well, your, your five through two are trust first, the Memory of Old Jack, Shakespeare in the Divided America, and The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Yep. Okay, yep, and then right. Heidi's three are Father Arseny, The Memory of Old Jack, and The well Garden Mind. Heidi, what's your second?
1: Uh, my second is Endless Life, uh, which is a collection of translations by poet Scott Carnes. He translated uh, yeah, Christian Mystics from... Bible, beginning with St. Paul, going through the early church fathers and into the medieval mystics and scholastics. Um, And he'd made, he did translations and turned them into poetry. Mm. So it's beautiful writing. It's devotional. It's a deep dive into Christian history. Uh, Mm. It's, it's an absolutely stunning book. I worked my way through Mm. it very slowly over the course of the year, um, both on a, uh, and it just nourished my mind and my soul and spirit. It's like literary and devotional. And it's, it's a stunning work of translation. Just if you're interested in translation, Scott Carnes is remarkable. He's no more as a poet, but he's actually a remarkable translator. Uh, and, and this is, I, I just think it's one of the most creative ideas for a book ever, as well as being just beautifully done and will nourish your humanity on every level. Mm. Endless Life, Scott Carnes, fantastic.
0: And also, if you're into the mystics or want to be into the mm-hmm. mystics,
1: yep, hey, or want to know more about our history, it's I mean, as a, as as Christians, or even if you just are not even a religious person and just want to like read some old writers that are translated beautifully. So anyway, Timmy, you're gonna hit me with something I know Scott
2: Carnes. No way. You want me to? Yeah.
1: Yeah, tell him you want me to I love that
2: interview. I've,
1: yeah. Yes, I'll tell him. please. Okay.
0: Okay, so then that brings me to. to my number two, right? Yeah. Okay. So my number two is a novel by Joshua Cohen called The Netanyahu's. Have you guys heard of this? No. So this is the subtitle. It's long. So I actually have to look it up here. The Netanyahu's, the subtitle is an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode in the history of a very famous family. So it takes place in 1960 and it's about a guy who's a, he's a Jewish professor at a kind of a, a fictional college that's meant to be like a Ivy League school. And the father of Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Benzoin, I think is his name, is coming to be considered for a job at this school. And he's bringing his family. And this professor Blum, it's his job to host this guy because he has basically been he's been enlisted into this committee to determine whether this guy is a hireable person because he's the one Jewish person on the the staff in 1960. And it is genuinely the, it is the funniest book I've read this year. And and even so it goes on for 10 pages on diaspora, the Jewish American experience, questions of Zionism, what it is, what what it means to write history, um, what it means to be Jewish. Like it asks these deep, historical and philosophical questions and is interspersed by some of the, like the single funniest scene I have read the whole year is, is in this book. Um, it's well-written. It's kind of acidic in times. It's, it's so good. Um, I love it so much. It, 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 if it weren't for what my number one book is, it would be my number one book. <laughs> so the Netanyahu's is by uh, Joshua Cohen. Nice. It's a little bit of a little bit of revisionist history because it, like, Benjamin Netanyahu's father did actually teach at Cornell for a little bit, but it kind of takes this scenario that Harold Bloom told Joshua Cohen about, and then he novelizes it. So it's a bit of a revisionist history about real cool. people, but it's—I mean, honestly, you both would adore this book. I think
1: really, I bet I would. Sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, like both of you, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, Tim would love this scene. Heidi would love this scene. This is, you know, I, I just think you guys would love it.
1: All right. Um, it,
0: it, but it really does go into like, it'll have like a 10 page diatribe where they're, they're like one of the characters is contemplating or giving a speech about like questions of Zion as like Zionism or questions of like what it means to be like the Jewish diaspora. I mean, but those are all very interesting and it's all within the context of these actual characters and what they're kind of having to live through in mid-century New York. Um, so, okay, Tim, you're number one. That sounds
2: very much like the same kind of time period as a book that we're reading in 2022. My name is Asher Lev. Probably a very different yeah, book, yeah. But, but similar kind of like yeah, historical yeah. themes.
0: Yeah, this is a very unusual book, I will say.
2: Okay, my number one book, are you ready for this? We're ready. Number one for me was a 700 page biography by Robert Massey on Catherine the Great. Empress of Russia. What a book. My <laughs> goodness, what a book. So she is. What's, it, what's the book actually called? Catherine the Great. Yeah, it left a little oh, okay. bit to the imagination <laughs> with regards to its title, but otherwise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what it about. I out. just wanted That's a to
2: yeah, yeah, right. Very, very on the nose, very appropriate. Um, She is Empress of Russia, uh, you know, like maybe a. Beginning 10 years before the American Revolution up until 1796, she is one of the most remarkable people that Shirley has ever lived. Incredible. She came from kind of, she was aristocracy. She was kind of like lowborn aristocracy. What a life she lived. And yeah, her reign was not only the longest in Russian history, but probably the most impactful. Just a... a, fascinating person and a brilliantly told story. There were times, especially early in Catherine's life, I'm reading the biography and I thought, this is surely fictionalized. This cannot be true, but Hmm. it's true. A really great read. And a shout out to, I don't know, 10 years ago. I don't know. Oh, it's wonderful. Gonna gonna Um, make sure I have it in the store. I recommended it to our friend, Jesse Turpin. Happy birthday, Jesse. And she also read it. And I'm, I shout out to her speaking truly that she also raved for it. So not just me, multiple readers, multiple close readers. Nice.
0: All right. So Tim, your list is trust first by Bruce deal, the memory of old Jack by Wendell Berry, Shakespeare in a divided America by James Shapiro, the second mountain by David Brooks and Catherine the great by Robert Massey. Yep. M a S S I E. That's a, It's a diverse list there. It's an eclectic uh, collection of books. One, one piece of fiction. Yep. All right, Heidi, your number one.
1: My number one is, without a doubt, George Saunders' "A Swim in a Pond in the Rain." As Tim says, number one with a bullet. With a bullet. I say by a mile. You say with the bullet. I thought I'd just pick up on a Tim-ism right there. (laughs) I loved this book. I'm crazy about this book. I was, again, just flipping through it early this morning, looking at my underlines, and my margin notes, and just immersing myself once again. in it's fantastic. So George Saunders is an incredible novelist in, in his own right. Um, and he teaches writing at Syracuse. And they only accept, I think, six or seven a year in their writing wow. workshop out of like hundreds of applicants. Um, and so you got to be a great writer to work with George Saunders. And he teaches a masterclass on Russian short stories and this book is pretty much a kind of an immersion in his Russian literature masterclass for writers. So he chooses four Russian – is it is that right? Four Russian writers. Yeah,
0: four writers, seven stories.
1: Seven stories, four writers, um, and – he gives you the story. So you get to read the story and then his comments on the story for writers and for readers. Um, i I just love George Saunders, uh, just as a person. And he has this magnificent, I'm just going to read a little, just, just a short couple of sentences from the book. Um, this is from the introduction and he says over the, Last 10 years, I've had a chance to give readings and talks all over the world and meet thousands of dedicated readers. Their passion for literature has convinced me that there's a vast underground network for goodness at work in the world, a web of people who've put reading at the center of their lives because they know from experience that reading makes them more expansive, generous people and makes their lives more interesting. As I wrote this book, I had those people in mind – to study the way we read is to study the way the mind works the way it evaluates a statement for truth the way it behaves in relation to another mind across space and time and then he goes on a little bit later and says the way that we read is the way that we the way that we read a story is the way that we read a world or read the world and i just think that's such a description of what we've built at close reads too and Mm -hmm. and this community not just the three of us but beyond um and george saunders has a vision for that and he wrote this book for people like that for people like Mm. us and and i just i everything everywhere in this book i just loved
0: what a
2: great paragraph
0: so my number one book is uh a swim in a pond in the rain by george saunders no way no (laughs) way so, yeah. I mean, for okay, here's the thing: if you haven't read, like, say, The Nose before, or you haven't read uh, Master and Man or Lincoln in the Bordeaux. Mm. I don't know, Aloysius the Pot, or I don't know, whatever it is, The Nose, especially. Then this is a great chance to read those. But then also, he's contemplating the, the nature. It's just the best book on writing, I think, and reading that I've read in and ever.
1: And just being human. Like Mm, he's somebody who understands how the two overlap to be a reader and a writer is to be, to be a deep reader and writer is to be a deep human. You can't help it. If you read deeply, you're going to have a bigger soul and not just than other people, but then you originally came into reading and writing with, and he gets that and writes about it beautifully. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just get so excited about this book. Now I'm going to just put myself on mute.
0: (laughs) No, I don't have anything else really to add. It's amazing. Um, like even if you don't want to dig into the, the conversations that he has about the stories at any given time, you can still sit down and read like a Chekhov story or Tolstoy story. And you're going to those they're amazing. And they're also so seminal in the development of the short story. And he gets—he talks a lot about that. like the, the way the short story works, some of them feel old fashioned, right? Like you read some of the Chekhov or Tolkien stories and it feels weird. It feels old fashioned in the language. Some of that's due to translation, but some of the choices that they make. But he shows how. Well, now we think about stories this way, but that's because of these choices that Tolstoy or Chekhov were making 100 and almost 200 years ago. And so if you're interested in kind of the, the evolution of storytelling uh, over the last couple hundred years, it's also got that for you as well. And then he also is just a great, generous prose writer himself. So when he's writing about the stories, the writing is so good. He, side note, he has a newsletter um, called Story time or something um and he does what he does in this book in his newsletter once or twice a week i think so i think you can get you can get it for free but you can also pay 50 bucks a year to get the full thing and he just started that a couple months ago and it's really good too so if you like the book that's worth jumping on so that brings that brings us to the end of our lists so tim's list is trust first the memory of old jack shakespeare and divided america the second Mountain and Catherine the Great. Heidi's list is Father Arseny, The Memory of Old Jack, The well gardened Mine, Endless Life, and A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Mine has a lot more fiction and is a lot more nonsensical. It's Who is Maud Dixon, Beloved Beasts, Damascus Station, The Netanyahu's, and A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Um, is there any, any other books you feel like you need to to shout out or mention or anything like that that you want to make sure that you say anything about?
2: I think this was my lowest number of books read in a year in a long, long time. I just had too much. 2021 was just too much.
0: (laughs) I imagine a lot of people are feeling that way.
2: Yeah, I bet. I bet.
0: All right. Well, that's a wrap on on 2021 here. Quick update on what we're going to do on the show. We put a poll out because there was a lot of feedback about loving and maybe people weren't loving it. So we put a poll out with some options for what we could do there and... The options were continue with loving, do an episode on a short story, do an episode on the apartment, which is one of my favorite movies and is a New Year's Eve movie, or take naps. We were hoping for more votes that we take naps during the during that hour, but you know, wasn't what the people wanted. So what we're going to do is the vast majority, like I think fifty percent of the votes out of all of them, were for doing the apartment, the movie. So what we're going to do is Heidi and I at least are going to do an episode on that that movie, the apartment. It's one of my truly one of my favorite movies 1960 great great billy wilder movie we'll do that sometime in the next hopefully before the new year and then we will we will hold on to loving we're gonna do the episode on it but we're gonna give ourselves a little more time so at some point in the winter we're gonna drop a single episode as we promised on loving and that gives everybody more time to read because we saw a lot of feedback that people had just gotten their books they're having a hard time finding it or whatever yeah Yeah, it's it's about 200 pages yeah yeah so we are going to still do it. We're just not going to do it this week. So just be on the lookout for that. We'll we'll start on the 2020, 2022 books, but we won't, we haven't forgotten loving. We're just going to give ourselves a little more time to do that. And y'all a little more time to read those of you who want to. And then in the meantime, we'll do the apartment. So, you know, you can get the apartment on Amazon. Yeah. I think you can rent it for like a dollar 99 or something. If you don't, if you don't want to go out and buy it, which you should, it should be in everybody's home library. Okay. So with that, Heidi, Tim, that's 2021 here on, on Close it's Reads. It's a wrap. It's a wrap on 2021. Thank you for a great year, guys. Nice year, y'all. 2022 is going to be fun. We got some good books. We got another retreat going on. We're going to do some, some close rants. Tim's going to talk about like...
2: What's the deal with dad brain?
0: Dad, dad brain, you know, things like that. We should make that close reads. Should, like the close rants should always start with, what's the deal with? yeah, And then, then yeah. you rant about whatever but the then thing there's gonna, like, some the bumper is. going to be music.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And we kind of exactly. wait for a close rant. So that was a little, that was a little sample of a future close rants that you can get when you join our Patreon page. So Heidi, anything you want to say to close out the year?
1: Nope. I just had a lot of happy reading this year. Can't wait till next year.
2: Tim. I just had a lot of happy reading this year. Nice. That's a good one. I just felt like since I used the tag for the show, I need to also use the tag for the show. We both, both use the tag for the show. For
0: I am David Kern. Thank you so much for listening, and until next year,
2: happy reading.